Hello, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley. We have an exciting series we are in called Discover Life. This series is about what it means to follow Jesus and what West Valley Christian Church believes. We will look at the following topics in this series. Jesus, the Bible, sin, grace, discipleship, conversion, and the church. We hope you enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. All right, so I promised you guys first service, Aaron's words were so beautiful and eloquent. And um, it's amazing because I I knew that my mom and my wife were in first service, so I was like, I'm not even going to try, you know? And so I could totally relate to him as he was standing up here. So anyway, beautiful words, beautiful song. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. So we've been going through this series, our Discover Life series, and... um, Pastor Rob started two weeks ago. We talked about Jesus and the Word. What a great place to start. Because the truth is, we don't believe in Jesus. Everything else we're doing here is a waste of time. So it starts with Jesus. And then we looked at the Word. And we looked at how God's Word is the boss in our life. Like, this is our authority. I'm not your authority. Nobody else is your authority. God's Word is the authority in our lives. This is how we decide what is right and wrong. And so God's word is the boss. And then last week, Pastor Rob talked about sin and grace. And you know, everybody likes to talk about grace. Nobody ever likes to talk about sin. But grace doesn't mean anything if we don't understand that we are sinners. Like grace is cheap if we don't ever talk about the problem that we have with sin. We never look at verses like Isaiah 59 that remind us that our iniquities, our sins, separate us from God. Like that is why we need grace. And so today we're moving on to the next part. We're going to look at discipleship in the church today. Discipleship and the church. But before we do that, I want us to think about a parable that Jesus told. In Matthew chapter 13, we have a parable that we've entitled Parable of the Sower. And so Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. I think he's standing in a boat, and he tells this story. He he talks about how a farmer goes out to spread his seed, and and how he throws some seed, and it lands on the path. And, And the seed that lands on the path lands there, and birds come and eat it up before it can grow at all. Next, there's seed that lands on these rocky places. And so it springs up quickly, but because there's no roots, it doesn't survive. And then he talks about seed that lands, uh, some versions say thorns or in the weeds, and so it lands there, and it starts to grow, but the thorns and the weeds around it choke it out, and so it doesn't last. And then lastly, the fourth soil that he talks about is good soil, and how the seed lands on that soil, and it grows, and it produces a beautiful crop. And, And so I'm so grateful that sometimes when you, when you read the Bible and you read these stories of Jesus, I'm so grateful that I'm not the only one that doesn't automatically understand what Jesus is talking about, okay? Because in verse 10 of Matthew 13, it says the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, I could be reaching here, but part of me is, is thinking to myself, they're saying, Jesus, why do you tell stories that we don't understand? Like, why do you say things that we don't understand what you're trying to say? You know, some of Jesus' parables are super easy to figure out. And some of them you're left going, ah, you know, I just don't know. And so Jesus, they ask him this question, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he answers that question. 
And then eventually, I think he gets around to what they were really asking about. Because in verse 18, he starts and it says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so it's called the parable of the sower, but it's really about the soil. It's about the soil that that seed is thrown on. And that seed is the word of God. That seed is the word of God. And you know what? The seed, the word of God is always good. The problem with the growth is never that the word of God is, is not good. The seed is always good. But what happens is a result of the soil that it lands on. And so I don't know if you think about it or if you've ever thought about it, but each Sunday as we walk through these doors and we come into church, now let me just say this. We read God's word, that's the seed. The things that come out of my mouth, the seed, that seed may not always be good. Okay, that may not always take. Okay, but the word of God is always going to be true. Okay, and so the word of God that we're reading today, man, it wants to grow in our lives. It wants to produce something in our lives. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. And as we've been looking through this whole series is what kind of soil are you? How is your heart and mind as you come in here today? How is your soil? Are you like the path? Are you like the rocky places? Are you like the weeds, or are you like the good soil, the good soil where things are ready to grow? Before we go on, let, let's pray together for just a moment. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be here, to worship you, to sing songs of worship, to praise you, to give you what you so richly deserve. And so, Lord, I pray right now that as we look at your word, Lord, that truly your word would be the star of the show, that your word would be at the center of everything that we're talking about and thinking about right now. And Lord, I pray for our hearts and our minds, Lord, that right now that you would help us as we, and prepare us to be the kind of soil that you want us to be. Thank you, Father, so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so this morning, we are looking, the first we're going to look at this idea of discipleship. And some people, you might hear the word disciple, and you're like, what does that even mean? And so in Acts 11, verse 26, it tells us the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so the reason that verse is important is up until this point, like we all, we all would identify, I don't know how you all would identify as followers of Christ, but most of us would say we're Christians, okay? But up until this point, no one was called Christians, they were just referred to as disciples, disciples of Jesus. And this is why this is important. As we read through the New Testament, especially as you read what Jesus teaches, when he talks about what it takes about being a disciple, sometimes people wrongly think, oh no, this is only for the super Christians. This is only for those people that are really deep in their faith. 
And the truth is, when Jesus says, hey, this is what it takes to be my disciple, he's talking about what he expects out of each and every one of us. Okay? He's not talking about what he expects out of, you know, that super person who, like, goes to Sunday school and goes to church and serves in a small group somewhere. When he talks about what it takes to be a disciple, he's talking to each and every one of us that's here today, not some super person, some super Christian. And so as we look at these words, this is what Jesus has called us to be. This is what he expects out of each one of us. And so the first passage we're going to look at is in John chapter 8, and it's verses 31 and 32. And it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So these guys believed in Jesus, and yet there was still something they were missing. And that, miss, that thing that was missing was their obedience. When he says, if you hold to my teaching, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about obedience. We aren't supposed to just know Jesus' teachings. We're supposed to obey them. I mean, we could come to church. We can go to all the different Bible studies in the history of the world. I mean, we've got a million of them every night of the week, it seems like, at our church. Nothing wrong with that. We could gain all kinds of head knowledge about Jesus. But if it isn't followed with obedience, it's a waste of our time. It doesn't mean anything if we're not obedient. We don't get to, also when I think about this idea of holding to his teachings, guess what? You and I, we don't get to pick and choose what we want to obey. Like we are called to obey his teachings, all of it, whether we like it or not. I don't get to just say, well, I like what Matthew 13 says, so I'm going to obey that, but I don't like what Matthew 14 says, so I'm going to ignore that. Like Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, hold to my teachings. And so that's the first thing that we notice today about what it means to be a disciple. A disciple holds or obeys the teachings of Jesus. You know, James 1.22, which I think is in the word lesson as well. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You can have it memorized, but that doesn't mean anything. We need to be doing what it says. In another passage in Luke, chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says he replied, or it says he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So we are called to not just hear God's word, we are called to obey it. So a disciple obeys Christ's teachings. The next thing that we're going to notice here is found in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 say this, says, as a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, test time. What are we supposed to do? Okay, all right. You don't have to be geniuses for us to figure. Even I figured this out. Jesus is telling us that we ought to love one another. So we are, as disciples, we are to obey Christ's teaching, and we are to love one another. So a couple weeks ago, I was scrolling through the internet, and I was, just had some time to waste, and I came across this one article. And I don't even know why I clicked on it, because I knew I wasn't going to like it, okay? But sometimes there are things that you're going to read, like, and you, you need to click on it, even though you know you're not going to like it, because you just, sometimes you need to know, okay? So I was scrolling, and, the, and the, you know, the, the title of the story, I don't remember what it was, but it was basically like, uh, people were giving reasons why they left the church. 
Okay? So someone had asked a question, and then these people were posting reasons why they left the church. And it was like one of those things, I'm like, you know, as a pastor, I know I'm going to hate this article, but I should probably read it anyway. Okay? Um, and so I clicked on it, and it really did make me sad. Okay? Because out of like 20 to 25 responses, you know what? There were only two responses that actually had anything to do with God. Okay, so out of these 20 to 25 people that had left the church that, that weren't doing anything anymore, only two of them was their problem really with anything that has to do with God. One of them, she had lost a, a child, a young child, due to a disease. And she couldn't understand why God would allow that. And you know what? While I may not agree with how she responded, as a human being, I'm like, I can understand her feelings. I could understand why a person would have that struggle, and that makes sense to me. Uh, another person had written down, there's talking about how much evil there is in the world, and so much evil is done as a result of us having free will. And so this person was like, how could I, how could I believe in a God that allows all this stuff to go on around us? And again, I don't agree with where this person eventually went to, but as I read it, I was like, at least that makes sense to me. Like, I understand why a person might struggle with that. Because don't we all sometimes look around at what's going on in our world and go, what? You know, how? Why? I was like, that's normal. But what really killed me about this article was all the rest of these people, they all had stories that had nothing to do with God for why they left the church. It was all because they'd been mistreated by someone at church. They'd been judged by someone at church. They'd been looked down upon by someone at church. They'd been excluded by someone at church. And so out of all these reasons, there were, there were, there were over 20 of them that had nothing to do with who God is. It was everything about we as Christians not doing a good job of loving one another. And that's painful. The idea that there are people that would no longer go to church, because remember, that has nothing to do with who God is. Our bad behavior, our stupid choices doesn't change at all who God is. And yet we can affect with our poor decisions and poor choices, we can affect how other people see God. And so what we are called to do, we are called to love one another. Okay? Some of us are easier to love and some of us are harder to love. I'm not going to throw at any names. I don't have time for nonsense and shenanigans today, so I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular today, okay? But you and I, we are called to love one another. And you know what? It's wonderful and it's beautiful that we're all so different. Like, we're not called just to love the people that think like us, look like us, act like us, like the same things as us. We're called to love everyone. And so we're called to, as a disciple, we're called to obey Christ's teachings and we're called to love one another. The next passage is John chapter 15, verse 8. And it says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we are called to bear fruit. Now, I'm not a very good farmer or gardener, and so I'm not really sure how to do that. But this passage is in the midst of a section where Jesus is talking about how he is the vine and we are the branches. And so how do we bear fruit? We stay connected to the vine. We stay connected 
to him. You see, if he's the vine and you and I were branches and yet we're cut off from him, we're going to die. There isn't going to be any kind of healthy fruit, okay, if we don't stay connected to him. And so you and I, to bear fruit, we have to stay connected to him. And, you know, over the years, a lot of people have disagreed or argued or talked about what it means to bear fruit. Some people say bearing fruit is about sharing your faith with other people and bringing other people to the Lord. I don't know. That could be what Jesus is talking about. Some people say, oh, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I mean, that passage hadn't been written yet. So when Jesus said this, but he might have had that in mind. And I tend to think, you know what? It's not either or, but it's both. Our lives ought to reflect that we are connected with Jesus. There ought to be fruit that shows that you and I are connected with Jesus. This week I was reading a a commentator, and he said this. Finally, we must note that here are two things laid down about good disciples. First, they enrich their own lives. Their Their contact makes them fruitful branches. Second, they bring glory to God. The sight of their lives turns the thoughts of others to the God who made them like that. God is glorified when we bear much fruit and show ourselves to be disciples of Jesus. The greatest glory of the Christian life is that by our life and conduct, we can bring glory to God. The one sentence, he says, they bring glory to God. The sight of their lives turn the thoughts of others to the God who made them like that. Our lives ought to have fruit that reflects God in our life and that we are connected with him. The fourth passage, what a doozy. This one is, this one is a doozy. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, who wants to be his disciple? I do. Okay, I don't know about the rest of you, but I do. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. I might have answered a little early. Deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now listen to verse 25. This is a powerful verse. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We're told to deny ourselves. We're told to take up our cross daily, and we're told to follow him. Those are three different ways of saying the exact same thing. So a disciple obeys Christ. A disciple loves one another. Okay, a disciple bears fruit. And a disciple is denying themselves and putting Jesus first in our lives. If I'm taking up my cross daily, I'm dying to my selfishness every day. And I'm putting God's will ahead of my own. If I'm following him, he's the one leading and guiding my life. As most of us know, our lives are going to be way better off if we let him lead us and guide us. And you know, one of the key things for us to understand is this. In all these things, Jesus isn't saying it's optional. He's not saying, you know, some of you should do this, and oops, sorry, and some of you don't have to. He's not saying it's optional. He's saying we all need to do this. If we want to follow him, this is what he expects out of each and every one of us. And so that's what we need to be striving for each and every day. And the difficult part about this is, 
Like, isn't it easy while you're sitting in church to make a decision? Isn't it easy when you're sitting in church to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow him. It's so easy to do that when you're sitting here. Like, I find so many times, like, I love sitting through worship and, and just sitting there because worship, like it, like, it gets my mind ready. And it gets my mind ready to come up here to preach. And it's so easy when we're sitting here to go, yeah. But then you know what? We have to make that decision on Monday when we wake up. And not only do we have to make that decision to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him on Monday, but the problem is we don't just have to make it in the morning when we wake up. By 9 o'clock in the morning, we probably had to make that decision four or five more times. And it's a thing that we have to decide over and over and over again to allow him to be in charge. And that verse 25, man, it's, it's an amazing verse. Because if we go our own way and we gain everything this world has to offer and avoided him and excluded him, what have we really gained? I mean, we, literally, we have gained nothing. We, we've gained a couple of things for a little bit of time, but it's literally nothing in light of eternity. And yet so many people... That's how we so often live our lives. Like we're going to live forever and all of our stuff is going with us and it's going to last forever. I love my car. I love it. But I know someday it's going to just end up in the junkyard. Okay? It's not worth, it's not more important to me than Jesus. Everything I own, I, well, I don't love everything, but you know, none of it is more important than Jesus. And so a disciple obeys Christ's teaching. A disciple is committed to loving one another. A disciple bears fruit. And a disciple is putting Jesus first in every area of our life. Those things are getting hard. You know, and before we go to the next verse, I just want to remind you, last week, if you were here and if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to the sermon. Because when we look at verses like these that are so hard and so difficult, we need to be reminded of the grace that Pastor Rob talked about last week. Because none of us are good enough. None of us every day are going to make the right choices. And so when we blow it, we need to be reminded of God's grace for us. Because these are hard and these are difficult. And we need to be reminded of verses like 1 John 1, 9. That tells us that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Like that's, you know, it's easy to say, we need to do this, 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 and this. But we're all, we all need to hold on to God's grace. Because we're all going to fall short. Having said that, let's look at another very difficult verse. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. He says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me, and I can't believe we're reading this passage on Mother's Day, but if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I mean, he can't be any more clear. Like, we can't be his disciple unless we're willing to do these things. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. 
three times in that section, Jesus says, hey, if you don't do this, if you're not willing to do this, you cannot be my disciple. We have to hate our father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even our own lives. And just to help you all out, I don't think Jesus wants us to hate those people like we think of the word hate. Like, I, I don't think he wants us to be yelling at our mothers today on Mother's Day and screaming, Jesus told me to hate you, okay? I think the point of what Jesus is saying is the idea that we are to love him more and love them less. Like, no matter what's going on in my life, Jesus is more important than my mother and my father. Now, to make it more difficult, Jesus is more important than my wife, and even more difficult for some in here, Jesus is more important than my children. Jesus has to come first over all those people. We are to love him more than anybody else. And it shouldn't even be a contest. We need to put him first. He also says you have to carry your cross and follow him. We kind of already talked about that with the last verse, but if we're not willing to do it. We can't be his disciple. And then he says if you don't give up everything you have, or you have, you cannot be my disciple. And again, I don't think he's asking us all to go home and sell everything we have on eBay. Okay, I don't think that's what the point of the verse is. But what I think Jesus is saying is, you know what? We need to remember who everything really does belong to. I have a house. My kids like to remind me that the bank actually own it. Okay, but you know, that's somewhat true. Okay, but my house is not really my house. That car that I mentioned earlier that I love so much, it's not my car. It's God's. The things that I've collected over my life that I hold precious to me, they're not really mine. They're his. They're his to be used for his glory. And if he decides he wants to take them from me, he can have them. Okay, really easy to save that standing here. Come try to take my Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card from me, and we'll see how hard that is. Okay. But like that's the attitude you and I need to have. Everything that we have, we hold loosely because they really belong to him. And if he wants to use them for his glory, he can have them. And so a disciple obeys Christ's teaching, is committed to loving one another, bears fruit, is putting Jesus first in every area of our life, and is committed to Jesus being the highest priority in our life. And so if you've gone through our, our, our Discover Life study before, you will have seen this picture that's going to come up on the screen before. Um, whew, I realized how old I was because as I was sitting in my chair earlier, I was trying to think when the first time I saw this picture was, and I thought, oh, 25 years ago. And then I realized my math was wrong. It was 35 years ago. Okay? And so I saw this picture for the first time 35 years ago, and it's such a beautiful picture of what I think we're talking about today, the three circles of people's lives. That first circle, you see the cross. That cross represents Jesus. Jesus is outside of this person's life. And so there's a throne in the middle of that person's life, and S is on the throne. S stands for self, okay? That's what we are when we're lost. Christ is outside of our life. We are on the throne. And listen, this doesn't mean that people that aren't Christians don't have good lives or that all people that are Christians are messed up. Because there are lots of uh, people that aren't Christians that, you know, are not miserable people, okay? But you notice the things, the, the, the shapes in their life are all jumbled up. That's what happens when we're on the throne, okay? So then you go to that second circle. That second circle, and I've argued with many people over the years, okay, so there is no right or wrong answer because it's just an illustration about whether this second person is even a Christian or not, 
Okay, but in the second one, Christ is in their life, but self is still sitting on the throne. Okay? And as long as self is still sitting on the throne, we're still in trouble. Okay, the shapes have a little bit more order, but we are still on the throne, and that is a problem. What God wants for us, I believe, is that last circle. Because in that last circle, the cross, Jesus is on the throne of my life. The S that stands for self, we're never going to get rid of it completely. We have a sinful nature that we're going to struggle with for the rest of our life. But it's there, but it's smaller. Why is it smaller? Because Jesus is on the throne. And then the shapes that are inside that circle are in order. Now let me just, one disclaimer. Because if you take this picture too far, you're going to get a misunderstanding. When a person becomes a Christian, it doesn't mean they're not going to ever have problems anymore. When Jesus is on the throne of your life, it doesn't mean you're not going to have any more problems. That is not true. You may get that from this picture, but that is not what it's saying. And let me just be clear about that. Matter of fact, quite often, when a person goes from sitting on the throne of their life to allowing Jesus to get on the throne of their life, their life becomes even more turbulent because they've spent their life living differently. And now there's conflict with everyone and everything in their lives because they've changed. But the point is, is that when Jesus is on the throne, which is what he expects, it's not optional. The things in our life begin to come in order. Why? Because he's our creator. Who knows better what is best for us, our creator or me? Now, sometimes we live our lives like we know better, but the truth is it's our creator that knows better. And so that's what it means to be his disciple. Now, we are going to kind of move to this next section. So from discipleship to the church, and I think they do tie in together because it's through the church that, that we continue to grow and are challenged and encouraged. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to read this whole section because it's a long section, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of, of one part, but of many. <clears throat> and then if you go to the second half of verse 24, it says, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Please go back and read that whole section, because what Paul is saying is, you know what? As the church, we're a body. And what that's saying, and what he's saying in here is, you know what? Every single one of us is important in that body. There isn't anybody that's more important. Like there might be some people that you might think are more important, but they're really not. And there's some people that you might think are insignificant, but they're really not insignificant. Each one of you sitting here today is an integral part of the body. Each one of you listening online is an integral part of the body. We all have a function to fulfill. And so if you're, like, do you ever have a part of your body that just isn't working? Like, it might be a part of your body that uh, some of you might have a lot of parts right now, okay? But, like, sometimes, like, you, you might have a part of your body that isn't working right, and you never even think about this part of your body. And now, because it's not working right, you can't think about anything else. I don't know, probably 20 years ago, I, I broke this finger playing basketball. 
And because I'm not very bright, I didn't go to the doctor. Okay? It was all misshapen, and I couldn't get a teammate to do it, and so I just pulled it straight, and I taped it. And listen, honestly, I'm not that tough. I don't know how I did that, because I'm such a wimp. Okay? But anyway, I, just, I don't know. I just wasn't very bright. I never went to the doctor. I don't really think about these little fingers very often. But for like three years, I couldn't think about anything else because it hurt for like three years. Like every time I would just brush it on something, I would scream in pain. My kids were little, and we used to like to wrestle, you know, and I was bigger and stronger than them. So they, can, they learned. All they had to do was get a hold of my finger, and they were going to win, okay? And so they could take whatever I was doing. They were going after this finger, okay? And so it reminds me, I may not think this part of my body is all that important, but it is. Each one of us is an integral, important part of the body. If my fingers just decided to take a Sunday off, where would I be? You know, if parts of my body just decided to go on strike, where would I be? If my brain went camping, where would I be? Okay, and so each one of us is an important part of the body. We each have a role to play. You know, that's why it's so important. Like I, we joke around, Greg, Pastor Greg loves to put in the announcements that I'm leading worship at Vintage. He loves to put that in there. And he loves to put that in there because I don't sing very well. My mom tells me I sing well. My wife tells me I sing well, but I know the truth. I'm not a singer. Go back to your room, Greg. Anyway, I know that I'm not a great singer. If on Sunday mornings it was up to me to lead worship, most of you would not come here. And so I'm grateful for people like Aaron and our worship team that use their gifts, use the things that they have to help lead us. We all have different gifts and different abilities that the body needs in order to function properly. You might be under the mistaken impression that because Aaron led worship this morning that he's more important than you are. And that's not true. You might be under the mistaken impression that because I'm the one talking right now that I'm more important than you are in the body. And that isn't true. Each one of us is important. Each one of us is unique and talented in different ways. And we need to make sure that we're using those talents for the Lord. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Two important functions for us in the church. We are to encourage each other. And we're to help each other in our struggle against sin. We are to encourage each other, and we're to hold each other accountable. That's the reason why we need, one of the reasons, or two of the reasons, I guess I can get my math right, two of the reasons why we need each other. One of the greatest places, that's hard to do that in here, isn't it? Like as we're in this room together, it's hard to do that. It's one of the reasons why being involved in a small group of some kind is so important. Because in a small group, you can share your heart. You could let people know what's going on. You could receive encouragement. You could also have people kick you in the pants when you need that in a small group. We all need that. And a verse that goes right along with that is Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This passage, like I said, goes hand in hand. You and I, as a church with each other, we are here to carry each other's burdens. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. When one part suffers, we all suffer. It's like a family. Not maybe like most of our families, but a healthy family, the way it's supposed to be. And so as I wrap up this morning, I want to share one more passage with you all. 
Because I want this passage to be what leads us towards next week. Because we've talked about Jesus and the word and sin and grace and discipleship in the church. And next week, Pastor Rob is talking about conversion. And in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now listen, verse 15 that I'm about to read, one of the most important verses, I think, in the whole Bible. Because it doesn't matter what everybody else says. But verse 15 says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus has been teaching. He's been performing miracles. Some people have followed him. And you know what? Because of some of the verses that we read today, there are people that followed Jesus, heard his hard teachings, and walked away. They're like, I, I can't do that. I'm not willing to do that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, who are these people saying? And like they're saying there, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, the prophets. But then he looks at him, and he asks the most important question. It's the most important question that any of us are ever going to answer. But who do you say I am? And Peter answered correctly in that moment. And that's a question you and I have to answer for ourselves. No one else can answer this question for us. You know what? It doesn't matter what other people are saying about Jesus. Who do you say he is? It doesn't matter what your parents say about Jesus. Who do you say he is? It doesn't matter what your friends say about Jesus. Who do you say he is? It doesn't even matter how your pastor answers that question. What matters is who do you say Jesus is? And like I said, Peter gave the only right answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because that's the right answer, Jesus expects us to allow him to be the Lord of our lives. He expects us to look at the church and realize that the church is the bride of Christ, as is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so as Pastor Rob wraps up this sermon series next weekend, 2,000 years later, we still have to answer the question in our life, who do you say Jesus is? And Pastor Rob's going to help us with that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the passages that are easy, and I'm even grateful for the ones that are hard. I pray that you would help us as we think about all these expectations that you have for us. I pray that you would help us to remember about your grace. I pray that you would help us to remember that you love us and that when we fall short and turn to you, that you forgive us. And so we thank you for that. But I pray, Lord, that as your body here, Lord, I pray that you could help us to live each day for you. And because we do that, we can make a difference in our world, in our community, in the places that we work, in the places that we shop, and everywhere that we go. I pray that we would be different because we are your disciple. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.
to 